Welcome to Hacker Public Radio. This is Tony Denton, also known as Barryman, with my third podcast. In my last show, I said that I would be explaining how I use Linux in the production of a website. Well, I've since decided to hold this topic over until the next episode. This episode, I've called Ball in the Jack. First, my thanks again go to Claudio M and to Clartu for their comments. Claudio M asked whether the music segues were by me playing. Well, yes, all the music you hear is either played by me on the clarinet, tenor or baritone saxophones, or compiled using the music software that I outlined in my earlier podcasts. Clartu suggests that I record some loops and post them on freesound.org. I think that's a great suggestion, and I'm looking into doing just that. The Jack Audio Driver I'm sure that I'm not alone in wrestling with the Jack Audio Driver. Some people have it relatively easy when installing Jack, but my hardware is mostly old kit recycled, so it's a bit more temperamental when it comes to compatibility with the latest Linux kernels. Although to be fair, with each subsequent distro update, audio does seem to get easier. For any serious audio work, it is essential that the Linux kernel operates in real-time mode. Prior to kernel 2.4, it was necessary to install a specially compiled kernel to operate in real-time mode. From 2.4 onwards, however, all kernels have real-time capability built into them. It just needs switching on through the software, in this case Jack, and then editing a configuration file. When you load Jack for the first time, or reinstall it after an update, say, you are asked to tick a box if you want to run Jack in real-time mode. You should make sure you tick this box if you are into any half-serious audio work. If you miss it, or are simply turning it on in an already installed copy of Jack, then you can do it through the Setup tab from the Jack Control interface. On the Setup page, under Parameters, the first tick box will turn on real-time mode. On this same page, the sample rate can be set. I use 44100 for maximum compatibility. And the buffer size or frames rate can also be reset. Even on my old single-core 1GHz AMD machine, I can get away with setting the frames rate to 256, which produces a very acceptable 11.6 millisecond latency. Of course, you don't have to do all this if you just want to opt for the simple route and use Audacity. For programs such as Arda or any amount of other music-related software, however, real-time operation is essential if you want to avoid X-runs and stuttering audio. If you've got this far, great. Now here comes the more geeky bit. And don't worry if you're having difficulty hanging all this together as I speak. I shall put all the information in the show notes. Next is the editing of the configuration file. You can't use real-time audio unless you carry out this next step. Even though Jack is now running in real-time mode, you are not yet allowed to use real-time scheduling. 
This is turned on by the addition of two lines of code to the file limits.conf in the slash etsy slash security folder. I find the easiest way to edit a system file is by using gedit as a super user. So I enter sudo space gedit space slash etsy slash security slash limits.conf and after entering my password add the following two lines before the hash end file marker. At audio dash rtprio space 99 and at audio dash memlock space unlimited. This means you have to make sure you are part of the audio group which in Linux you can check via the system slash administration slash users and groups tab. Or you can simply use your username instead of at audio which in my case is Tony Denton. The first line, rtprio space 99, sets the real-time priority to 99%. You could set it to 100%, but setting it to 99 just gives that little bit of headroom to avoid locking up the CPU in the event of a crash. The second line, memlock unlimited, means that the audio function has unlimited access to all the memory. And that's it. You should now be able to operate your audio functions in real-time mode. Phew, that was all a bit heavy, but as I said, I shall put all the details in the show notes. Now when you load and start Jack, and the easiest way to do this is with the Jack Control GUI, QJack Control, which is available in the Linux software repositories. Now when you start Jack, the RT symbol shows up in the display window, and you're set to go. Now that's what I call ball in the jack. Updating my hardware. It was only in my last podcast that I described in fair detail my hardware setup. Well, I've pushed the boat out, so to speak, and invested in an audio mixer. The mixer I have chosen is a Behringer Zenix X1204 USB mixer. This mixer has onboard USB audio interfaces and four mono and two stereo input channels, all balanced or unbalanced. And the XLR inputs have very good quality mic preamps. Each input channel strip has three band EQ and pan functions and two aux sends. On my X model, the aux 2 control sends the signal to an effects processor that has 16 effects with five reverb effects, four ambience delay effects, three modulation effects, two detune pitch effects and a couple of combination effects. These effects should prove useful to future projects. In addition, each of the four mono inputs has a studio-grade compressor on the strip. The mixer is portable enough to be useful on live gigs, as well as providing a reasonable quality of audio for my studio-based music activities, and the price of the mixer is right at just under £140 sterling. 
Acquiring this now allows me to add my ageing Yamaha PSR350 keyboard into the mix as another input and sound source. One of the consequences of this acquisition is that I cannot use the Behringer C1U USB microphone with the mixer. I can, however, continue to use the microphone for quick direct input recordings into the laptop. Another advantage of adding the mixer is that I can link the Zoom H4n in to allow separate recording of the voice and VoIP signals. And the Zoom can, of course, itself simultaneously record up to four tracks, two stereo and two mono. Maybe this will be the start of double-ender recording, if I can find a suitable partner to link with. Reconsidering my software bag. All this updating of hardware has caused me to have another look at the software that I use. For example, this podcast is now being recorded in ARDA, not Audacity. ARDA has become my main digital audio workstation for serious music projects. I'm only just beginning to get to grips with it, but already I recognise that it is a highly polished professional piece of software that is close to comparable with Cubase or Logic Pro for all but the most serious professional musician. I'm still exploring its capabilities for my particular setup, and shall probably do a podcast on ARDA sometime in the future. I intend to subscribe to ARDA to help keep Paul Davis developing the programme, and I urge others to do so. For the time being, I shall continue to use Audacity as the mastering software with Klaatu's configuration, as I mentioned in my last podcast. The advantage of using Audacity for mastering is that the noise reduction and compressor and normaliser plugins are so easy and effective to use. Also, another very useful program for setting or editing ID3 tags is KID3 tag. This little program accesses more ID3 parameters than can be set via the Audacity export function and allowing colour art to be added. I shall for the moment have to continue to use Band in a Box and Sibelius 6 in Virtual Box for my backing tracks and score writing, although I am currently trialling MMA, Musical MIDI Accompaniment, about the closest I can find in Linux to Band in a Box. Also, I'm looking at Muse and Lillipond in the hope that I can get to the point where I can dispense with the Windows-based software altogether. As before, I write the backing tracks in Band in a Box without the melody or solo track and capture the backing track on the Zoom H4n, now mounted to a photography tripod and set up directly in front of the stereo speakers. The track is then exported and brought into ARDA where the solo track is recorded alongside and mixed with it. It's still a bit experimental at this stage, but I'll let you know how I get on. That's about it for now. My website and blog can be found at www.tonydenton.com and I'm on Twitter as Tony Denton. My identical name is Barryman and I'm occasionally found on IRC also as Barryman. Cheers for now.
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.